Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. What a wonderful thought today that he's alive. He's in control. He's sovereign. What a beautiful job leading us in worship today, choir. Thank you so much for your ministry. I don't think that I would find too many people that would disagree with me to say our world is in a very confused place today. God's a God of order. And the enemy, the evil one, Satan himself, is a God of confusion. Little g. Not on equal terms at all. Uh, Our great God in heaven is far greater. But the enemy who is at work in our world is uh, a master of confusion and deception. And I think... In large part, he's using the same tactics he's used from the very beginning. First of all, just doubt in the word of God. Did God really say? And then we try to do all kind of mental gymnastics to try to avoid the very truth of God. So again, going back to the beginning, did God really say you should not eat from any tree in the garden? And then not only just the doubt of the word of God, but the actual denial, the rejection, even as Eve was in conversation with the enemy, which was not a good idea to begin with, he brought her to a place to say, you will not surely die when you eat that fruit, which was complete contradiction to the very word that God had given Adam and Eve. And so again, I would say to you that In large part, the confusion of the world is because we've lost our bearings. We've lost our foundation. We've left the very word of God from the heart of God so that we might know how to live our lives out. Do you not see this in our generation? A generation that's confused? Well, Psalm 145 gives us some instructions on what should be happening from generation to generation. And so if you found your place there with me, if you're able to, let's stand for the reading of God's word and we will read much of this particular psalm, at least down through verse 13. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. You may be seated. Join with me in prayer. Father, we believe that It's your will that this generation of believers would 
speak to this generation of unbelievers and that this generation of believers would encourage one another and lift high your great and holy name. And we pray that as a church body that we would be committed to that, we would be determined in that, that we would not be apathetic in that, but we would be aggressive and intentional of making your name known throughout Greensboro, throughout this world. We pray that as a church body that we will partner well with this other institution that you created called the home. And we pray that we'll be able to put aside the doubts, that we'd be able to put aside any denials of the truth of your word by looking at it, coming to terms with what you say about gender, what you say about marriage, what you say about parenting and and grandparenting and all these issues, Father, would you speak to us and equip us so that we can be the church and the families that you designed us to be? We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. I would say to you this morning that the church and the home are both created by God. Both of these are good institutions. And as much aspersion as the world and the enemy may cast against the church and even a nuclear biblical family, these are good institutions that God created. Now, do we give the world enough fodder to say negative things? Of course we do. We're sinners. We're not perfect and we don't do things perfectly and sometimes we, we go in directions that we shouldn't in our own homes and in our families and God calls us back. Sometimes that's why we're praying for revival. God, bring us back to the truth of your word. Give us hearts that are right with you and that we will be able to be lights in our homes and our communities and in the world itself. But I want to say to you this morning that the church is a good institution created by God. We see it come to fruition in the New Testament as Jesus said, I will build my church. And we see the home as a good institution. Marriage is good. Having kids is a good thing. These are uh, the design of God. And I would say there's another institution that uh, God has ordained, and that's the government. And the government protects our freedoms as far as the church and the home is concerned to practice freely what God has called us to do. And uh, a couple of days, we have the National Day of Prayer, and we recognize that here on Thursday. We'll meet together to pray from 12 to 1. And in part, we do that because we recognize that the government is here, and we're to pray for the government, that it would provide a free and safe place for us to worship and for us to make disciples. There's an issue that has arisen recently, though, in some of our local governments, our local schools. Some of you may have seen this. And from time to time, I think it's important that we make some official statements. And I've actually jotted some things down because I didn't want to misspeak or I didn't want to not be clear and thoughtful about this. Some of you may have seen uh, some of the Satan clubs that are popping up in some of our local schools. It's been publicized fairly well and maybe uh, we need to publicize it less. Uh, ourselves, but let, let me say just a few things about this. And again, I've just written this out. The devil is at work in our world. He is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
Increased activity could indicate the imminency of Jesus' return. Don't be surprised by the enemy's work and be careful to maintain a Christ-like attitude toward those who support his work knowingly and unknowingly. Remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? Our whole culture is saturated in satanic activity. Things that are taught through media, whether it's the news, movies, TV shows, for all ages. Things that are taught in our universities, even in our elementary, middle, and high schools, oftentimes are more on the side of the enemy than on God's. You get examples of evolution, humanism, self-actualization, relativism, and on and on. We've recently learned of an after-school club called the Satan Club. We should be alarmed, but then we should remember we live in a fallen world, and the little g-god of this world is active, destructive, and coming for you and your family. At the same time, the government seeks to protect the rights and freedoms of all its citizens. So really, any group can have a club. It's not the principal's fault, the faculty, even the school board. We try to work as closely as we're able with Christian schools, home schools, and public schools. Our answer to the world's problems is the gospel. We share the gospel with boldness, compassion, and kindness in order to make disciples. We've been given even more motivation to go and make disciples by all means as we think about this next school year. To this point, we have not been denied our right for any kind of activities outside of school hours on school grounds. You'll be hearing of opportunities that will be coming up in the days ahead. And I hope you'll respond and join us in the good work God's commanded us to do. And in the meantime, let's represent Christ well. Speak well on his behalf. Be compassionate. Speak the truth, but we must always do it in love. Let me add, before we heard of a Satan club on one of our local campuses that we've partnered with, we had already decided as a church body that we would, we would wait because there was so little time left before the end of school testing. And so again, I, I just want to reiterate, we've not been denied our freedom to be a part of that. If anything, we've just been given more motivation. We've had good partnerships and relationships with the schools around us. And we, we plan to be intentional in our support of the schools, the parents, the faculty, and the principals as well. So, how do we work together as a church in our homes with a government that uh, should protect our freedoms and that we pray for that kind of freedom to exercise what we believe God's called us to do? Well, I think in part we remember that the church and the home have the same purpose. God created both, and they're both created for his glory. When you look back in Psalm 145, you, you see this in verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now, get this point. We're responsible for the generation around us. We're responsible in our, in our own homes as parents to teach our children. Parents are the primary disciple makers. Parents have the most time and the most influence, the most opportunity, and they've been given the primary assignment to bring up their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Parents have a job to do. The church has a job to do in training 
the parents and how to raise their kids biblically, how to teach them, how to lead them, how to disciple them. But ultimately, all of this goes back to one generation shall commend your works to another. We're responsible in our church and in our homes to pass the gospel down to the next generation. This is going to be our memory text over May and June. I hope you, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a child, whether you're a student, that you'll work with us in memorizing this text. And from time to time, we'll read it responsively, like we're going to do even right now. So if you're new, I take uh, the pastor slot and you take the congregation slot. All right? One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. When you look at this uh, Psalm 145, the first few verses really talk about how great God is, who he is. I hope you picked up on that, and you can look there again in verse 1, where the psalmist David, who is finishing out a section that's been collected of about eight psalms from Psalm 138 to about 145. And and David writes, I will extol you, my God and king. Here is a king, one of the greatest people who are living, who was living on earth, and he's recognizing the fact that the one true king is God himself. And then in verse three, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Our job is to continue to grow deeper in our understanding of how great God is. We'll never get to the end of that well. We'll never get to the bottom of that well because he's infinitely great and infinitely good. But our job is what we do know about him, what he's revealed about himself. In verse 4, we will make known. One generation shall commend your works to another. Part of the work of God is the church that he instituted and that he has commanded that it would make disciples, multiply, and one day he would return for. And he's given us families to support the church, to be a part of the work of the church. And so I would say to you, first of all, the family is a delivery system for the gospel message entrusted to the church. We're going to look at this partnership and we'll get to the details of it over the weeks. But let me say broadly in the New Testament, we see this partnership where the church has been given the gospel. It's the pillar and buttress of the truth. It is what one day Jesus will come and he will return and take home to be with him, the church. And as a part of that, families are the delivery system of the gospel message. And so that's in the home. As husbands love their wives like Jesus loves the church, the wife sees the love of Jesus in her husband. And as the wife follows her husband, the husband sees what following Christ looks like when he looks at the wife. And the children see that the gospel message put on display with mom and dad as they live out that gospel relationship of Jesus and the church. At its most basic form, I would say marriage is gospel preaching. 
It's a drama that we're living out in front of each other and in front of our kids and our grandkids and our extended family and our neighbors as they look and as they listen to us and as they see us. Are they really seeing that that gospel message being delivered inside the home and outside the home? Now, parenting is along that same vein. If we're going to give a very simplistic definition of parenting, I would call it disciple-making. We've been entrusted with human souls in our homes that were to raise up knowing the truth of God, knowing who He is and how to follow Him and what that looks like. We're making disciples at home. That's the place that it starts. As a matter of fact, I heard some of this verbiage probably as far as a delivery system first in a, in a little book called Family Shepherds, encouraging men how to shepherd their families. And, and it's based a lot on what Jonathan Edwards would even say in the 1700s, that families are little churches that make up the big church. And so we're living out life as followers of Christ at home, and then we all gather together in the big church to honor him and to worship him and to be equipped so that we can go back home and do it even better and do it as God intended for us to do. So the family is a delivery system for the gospel message entrusted to the church. Secondly, the church holds the family accountable for godly behavior. Again, we're trying to, trying to think through, why, why would we say that one of our core values is family equipping? Why would we say this is important? Because we have singles, we have uh, widows, we, we have all kinds of people at different stages of life. So why would we say family equipping is at the core of who we are? And I would say in part because singles interact with marriage and sometimes there's a married friend that is having an issue at home, marriage or parenting and needs godly counsel. Well, that single is there even though maybe they haven't been married or they're not married presently. We, we speak into each other's lives, and that single may indeed one day be married. But we're, we're speaking into each other's lives. We're holding each other accountable. And you may remember the incident in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There was a young man who was living a very immoral life. And it was related to a family issue that was going on in his own home. And Paul said, call him out. He, he, he shouldn't just keep on living in an immoral way. I, I think that's one reason why we take church membership so seriously because when someone becomes a member of our church family, one, we have permission now to minister to them and to uh, be a part of their lives and to shepherd them. It's a different kind of relationship, but there's also that accountability when someone gets off the tracks or off the rails and needs a friend to come alongside and help them in their journey. The church is intended for such a place. We need encouragement and even accountability. Again, just thinking about Jonathan Edwards back in the 1700s, he would go as a pastor from man to man in his congregation and ask how their family devotions were going. Because he believed that that was a part of his role was to encourage the homes and the families. There was a partnership there and he wanted to see those, those dads leading out in their homes. And so there is accountability and I don't think that's a negative thing. I think it's a positive thing. It's a part of our discipleship culture, one of our other core values. As a church family, we, we feel responsible 
to help moms and dads in their parenting. We feel responsible to help husbands and wives and grandparents and to equip them. At one point, I would say, I think years ago, one of the biggest problems we had in our world was was the government and public schools. If they were, if they hadn't have taken prayer out of school, and you know, we go through the list, and and I, I do. Look, and I, I, I think that was a, a difficult time, and it wasn't exactly what any of us wanted. But that's not the core of the problem. That's not where we look back and reflect on and say, it's, it's the school's fault. And then there was a time I, I think I, I took a step forward and said, you know what? It's not the school's fault. It's the, it's the home. It's parents who aren't raising their kids and training them and discipling them and helping them. And, and, and then I took another step forward and said, no, it's not that. It's... It's the church's fault because we've not done our job in equipping husbands and wives and parents and grandparents in doing the job that they've been called to do. And so we have a choice. There's really no room for no choice. There's there's no room for apathy in this. But we have to take responsibility for what God's called us to do as a partner together, church and home. So the third thing I would say about this partnership, the family is a training ground for the church. The church will never be what it ought to be if the homes aren't what they ought to be. If, if moms and dads are not doing their job at home, then the church will never become a healthy church and will never have qualified leaders to serve. I want to turn your attention to those texts. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, you, you'll see it pretty clearly here. I want to first look at elders and pastors, and then we'll, we'll turn down a little further and look at deacons. But 1 Timothy 3 and verse 4, he's giving this list of qualifications, and he says he must manage his own household well. And with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care for God's church? So pastors, elders, overseers, there's a standard that that all men are held to. All men should be living up to this, learning how to lead at home. But he's saying you cannot serve in leadership until you have moved in leadership in your home. And then you see the same thing, not just for pastors and elders and overseers, but when you look over in verse 12 of chapter 3, he's giving this list of qualifications for deacons. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. You see, the family is a training ground for the church. God provided the church a way to see who would be qualified to serve in these leadership areas in the church. We're not looking for perfect men, and that's not what God is communicating here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But we are looking for men who are proving to be spiritual leaders in their homes, along with the other qualifications that are listed. Fourth thing that we partner together with, the church equips the family for the work of the ministry at home. I've alluded to this. I think this is, in large part, where the problem is, is that we've lacked churches across the nation, churches across the world, we've lacked the clarity to speak to what God expects in homes. And unless we're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, how else will the saints know how to do the work of the ministry? 
And what more important ministry is happening than what's happening in people's homes? In Ephesians chapter 4, we get these uh, offices in the church. And particularly, I'm thinking about this office of pastors or shepherds and teachers. And at the end of verse 11, he lists that, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So as I said already, is there any more important ministry than what's happening in people's houses as they're raising children and as grandparents are involved in, in family life as well? I, I would say not. If, if we're not raising up qualified people to serve in leadership, then the health of the church has bottomed out. And so the church equips the family for the work of the ministry. And when you read how the people of God are equipped in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scriptures inspired by God or God breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how are you going to do this good work at home? How are you going to be a godly husband, a godly father, a godly parent? Let's follow in the truths of scripture. You're, you're going to be equipped to do it through the scripture. Now, I, I think people are equipped on three levels. I think people are equipped from the pulpit. That's why typically we're doing expositional preaching. We're taking one text. Today we're a little bit more topical. Typically we're taking a text and even preferably through a book of the Bible at a time so that we can understand the context and make good application to the Word of God. Because discipleship should happen every time we gather. God gave shepherds and teachers for the equipping of the saints so it happens from the pulpit. That's why we gather in part. We gather to glorify God, to worship Him. But we also gather to uh, study the Word of God and be taught and equipped and encouraged in the work of God. So it happens in the pulpit. But it also happens in small groups. Many of you gather in life journey groups. Some of you have already had your life journey group. Some of you will move to life journey group after the service. Some of you will have a D group throughout the week or a a men's study or a, a women's study. These are wonderful opportunities to study the word of God together and to Uh, dialogue and have conversation together and ask questions of one another. But I believe there's another level that's just as important, and that's one-on-one. And some of you ladies, you think, especially a young lady would say, you know, I would love to have an older woman who's loved Jesus and loved her husband and raised her kids come alongside of me and walk with me through this journey. We'd love to help you with that. There's some young men that would say, you know, I don't even really know how to read my Bible. Or I don't know how to love my wife. Or I don't know how to disciple my kids. Wouldn't it be great if there was an older man who would come alongside of you who loves Jesus and who would love you and who loves his word and, and who's loved his wife and raised his kids? Sure it would. And Lawndale wants to be a place where we help provide those discipling relationships even one-on-one. And if you'll see one of us on staff afterwards, we can help connect you in that kind of way. The church equips the family for the work of the ministry at home. Number five, the church provides an intergenerational community for the family. Now, I never call out our people on 
the sound. But if you don't put a clock up there, I'm going to preach to 12 o'clock. So I don't have a clock up there. Uh, All right, let me get back to preaching here. Number five, the church provides. Everybody's looking at the sound people. Please (laughs) get that clock up there. Um, Let me say this again. The church provides an intergenerational community for the family. Now, if you were to go back and read Titus chapter 2, what a wonderful place to camp out and and to hear and see the older men and the kind of life that they're to live. And and then you see the older women listed, and it particularly says older women speak to the younger women, train them, and gives them a list of things to build them up in and train them and encourage them. And then, of course, it talks about the younger men. But this is a church family where the older and the younger intergenerationally come together and encourage one another. Older generation, you've got to see your responsibility with the younger generation. You've got to see, God put me here in this church family, in my family. Some of you should be patriarchs and matriarchs of your family for the glory of God and encouraging and praying and and being there for your families. The older generation is responsible for the younger ones. I would say to you, some of you older ones, I know it's hard to memorize things because the older I get, the harder it is to memorize stuff. But some of you need to memorize some of the names of some of our students over here and our college students and our young families. You need to remember, get to, you don't have to know all of them. But find a few, find a couple that you will begin to know their names and you begin to pray for them. Uh, Zach has a wonderful program called Pray For Me that we're going to celebrate and then we'll start back over before too long. But these are chances to get to know the younger generation, to invest in them through prayer and encouragement. Every time I see Charlie Toth, I know Charlie probably a little bit, oh no, here comes Pastor. But but I, I want to encourage him. He's my Pray For Me student. And, and the same way, we, we want to get to know each other and pray for one another. And I would say to the younger generation, you need this older generation. You, you need their experience. You need their wisdom. You need to know what they've learned over the years. And that's what God intends for his church, that we would be an intergenerational community. We would be like family. And our spiritual family ultimately is what's going to last. Our biological family won't last. You should invest significantly in your biological family. God's given you clear responsibility for your biological family. But one's temporal and one's eternal. And together as a church, we provide family for one another. I had a younger man say to me one Sunday, he had a bad attitude because we had sung an older hymn. And he's thinking, oh man, I don't really like that hymn too much. But he and his wife had built a significant relationship with one of our senior adults and one of the spouses died and that particular day after he sang that hymn he attended the funeral service and it was the same song we had sung that morning was sung at the funeral and he said it it just penetrated his heart because he realized how meaningful that song was to that senior adult you see that's the kind of way that we love each other that We'll sing some old hymns. We'll sing some new ones because we love each other. We want to be an intergenerational church because that's what healthy churches are like. That's what biblical churches are like. Number six, and by the way, I have a clock. Thank you, guys. (laughs) The family should serve the family so as not to burden the church, but the church will serve the family 
in the absence or neglect of the family. I know that can sound confusing, but when you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5, it's a, a lot that's stated about widows and how that families should first learn how to practice their faith at home. Children and grandchildren should take care of widows. But there are some widows that don't have extended family and the church steps in. And even when there's a family that will neglect that widow, the church will still step in. We, we work together. You see, God meant for the church and the family to work together. The church has a role to play. And last night I was thinking about our deacons and they had the widow's banquet. What a blessed time that was. So I saw deacons who had made contacts with widows and invited them to our banquet and served them. Uh, many of our, our ladies had, pr- had put together some gifts because men don't know how to put that paper in that bag just right. They had corsages and you know we are so blessed to have the widows and widowers we have at Lawndale. I know they've been through a lot and they can speak into our lives and what a, what a blessing that we get to serve. And what a blessing to have deacons who love widows and carry out that, that biblical role of deacon for them. But we serve. And then finally, the family serves the church because Jesus is preparing the church, his bride, for his coming. Every family should have a ministry in the church. Every single person ought to have a ministry within the church because it's the church that we love and the church that Jesus is going to come back for. He's not going to come back for my family. I pray that all of my family will be in his body, the the church, but they all may not be. But he's going to come back for the church. Our job is to build up the church, to be a part of the church, to make the church ready for his ultimate return because ultimately he's coming back. Part of our job as parents and grandparents is to help all of our family to be ready for Jesus' return. And our families together, we serve the church. Never diminish or devalue the church because Jesus is coming back for it. And our job is to do God's work at home and in the church. That's where I would leave you this morning. You are doing God's work at home and in the church. If you're doing what God's assigned for you to do as a husband, as a father, as a grandparent, if you're doing what God's called you in the body of believers at Lawndale, you're doing God's work. And never think that your work in the Lord is vain. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You may not get as much response. You may not see as much fruit, but God's called you to a work and your work is never in vain. The church and the home are both important to God. Both are being attacked by the enemy. You will do well to serve God and make disciples at home and in the church. Some possible commitments you might make today. You might say, I want to be discipled. And you will allow the church to come along you and side of you and provide mentors for you. Don't keep doing what you do, not knowing if you're doing the right thing. There are people, older men and women, who would love to come alongside of you and provide some discipleship. Maybe another commitment, I will lead my family to be more connected to the church. You know, there are a lot of things that are competing for the church I know sometimes it seems self-serving because I'm a pastor. Hey, come to church. But 
I do not say that selfishly. I say that biblically. God means for his people to gather and he means for our families to be a part of a church family. Maybe that's your commitment. I will leave my family to be more connected to the church. Maybe it's I desire to be more intentional in connecting with other generations. Maybe you're a younger person, a younger family or a, a student. And maybe, you're, you know, I, I don't really know many of the older people in the church or older, but I don't know many of the younger Maybe that's part of your commitment today. Maybe it's I'm committed to learning God's design for the home and church and how they work together. So that's what we're going to do over these next weeks. I think you'll be surprised by next week's message. It may not be exactly what you're expecting on Mother's Day. I'll leave a little surprise for you there. But maybe your commitment then too would be I surrender to becoming a follower of Christ. Today, if you don't know Jesus and you've gathered with us here in this place with his family, we want you to feel like family, but we would also like for you to be family. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're not in his family yet. But as many as received him, did he then give the power, the right to become children of God? You're created by God, but apart from Christ, you don't know God yet. And this morning, we'll have pastors who are available here uh, at an invitation, but also after the service. And we would love to talk with you more about how you can become a part of the family of God. Before we sing our closing song, would you pray with me? Father, we believe you created the home and the church. We want to be faithful to both. I pray that you'll give us wisdom as over these next weeks we look at your word. Give us clarity. Give us understanding. Give us boldness and yet also compassion. We pray that as we look at all of these issues, that we'll look at ourselves in the mirror of your word and see where you want to grow us, where you want to change us, where you want to encourage us, where your people, where your servants do in us what pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship.